Uh, hi there, everyone. Uh, this is uh, another episode of Control Structure. Wow, I skipped a week. I feel like I've been doing nothing almost all this time. Um, so yeah, Chris seems to have uh, ditched me. Uh, so I guess I have to, you know, go through my uh, list of guests. So hi, Stephen. How you doing? Hi. Pretty good. So uh, this is Control Structure episode forty-nine, which makes this makes this technically the fiftieth episode uh, for October thirtieth, twenty thirteen. And I am Andrew Bailey, and uh, you are Stephen Orvis, right? Yes. Yes. Remember <laughs> that. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. So, um, how you been? I've been pretty good. Things are getting better at work. I'm doing less. I'm, I'm, they keep telling me that I can move from the design documents I'm doing workout and breakouts so they're telling me after I finish like this section of workout and breakouts I can like actually code again so think, things look like they're going to be getting good here soon <laughs> cool so yeah, fortunately at my company we don't really have uh, much in the way of design documents so like a couple of pages and then we take you know, a site that's pretty much a store, and then we dress it up a little bit and add features here and there, and that's it. So, so how is the process then coming to get the enhancements coming in? Is it the you have to go talk to the customer yourself and kind of figure out what they're they're thinking, or how does that work? Usually, the customer contacts us, so they're like, "Hey, uh, we'd like to add this feature," or. Uh, I think like one of the upcoming ones is, hey, we have like a few stores we'd like to break one out um, of like the main one. Um, but yeah, so and then I think it was maybe yesterday or Monday that suddenly like bugs everywhere. Oh my gosh, I need spiders to eat the bugs. <laughs> there you go. We can. Re- we can write some spiders that eat bugs. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, you know, for me, half of it was a face full of French. So, um, but, uh, so, yeah, hey, uh, October 30th. Hey, uh, apparently the War of the Worlds, that one radio show was broadcast 50 years ago. And you heard of, like, all those people going crazy and panicking that there's, like, something actually going on. Apparently, that was greatly exaggerated. Somehow a myth that won't go away. See, I hadn't, before I read the article there, I hadn't really heard that much about that before. Like, I, I've heard, I recognize the reference, but I didn't really know what it was until I read the article, which is kind of funny because it sounds like it was, it's a much bigger thing. Yeah, so apparently at the time, you know, radio was totally taking over all the advertising like the internet is. Uh, so the established media, which would be newspapers at the time, you know, wanted to find something to discredit uh, radio and, you know, keep all the you know attention all on newspapers and stuff. So they essentially created this hoax. So, and, uh, uh, you know, there's, you know, all this stuff going on, but nothing actually happened. So, like, no one was hospitalized, no one went around crazy, so, yeah, good going there. Yeah, I was trying to figure, the, I don't know if you know very much about the broadcast itself, I was trying to figure out from the article, it sounded like 
the actual CBS, like, the top-level people weren't in on it, really. It was more of a surprising that the guy decided to do. Do you, do you know if there's what the history was behind that? Um, not necessarily. So, but yeah, it was surprising that, you know, CBS, you know, was, uh, like, established about 10 years earlier or something. So, and, like, now it's, like, this huge, giant media company. Yes. Of course, I think they acquired or got bought out a couple of times, but still. The thing that I found interesting in the article there about that, they were saying that one reason why some people say that a lot of people found it was there's some song and another program, and they, everyone's like, well, people probably dial surfed and, like, turned the dial when yeah, that song you know, came on. You know, I was channel like, surfing, hey, yeah, they, I was they like, did it back then. But, but the, the thing, though, what I was thinking about is, like, this isn't the same difference as, like you said, channel surfing, where you have a button and it's one channel at a time. Like, with those radios, like, you have to turn the dial and stuff, and it's not tuning it for you. It's it's a hard thing to get them tuned in sometimes. I don't think, if I had a station found, and I was listening to it and interested in it, like, I don't think I'd be changing the dial any, because it's hard to tune those things in. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I wasn't buying that part of the story of people dial surfing that much. So, but then if, you know, that's what you did every night, you'd probably get used to it and get pretty good at it. That's true. You might know just where the station's at. It's like that far on the dialing. You just yeah. go right to it. That's true. Yeah, and then, uh, like, the dial at that part might actually be worn out, so it's sort of, like, click into position. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so, and now for a completely different story. Uh, the parable of a fisherman, of the fisherman here. So this uh, the story here is about uh, you know some rich entrepreneur um, or like an investment guy uh, goes on vacation down to Mexico and he speaks to one of the local fishermen about you know you know hey you know you have a boat uh, why don't you buy a bigger boat and then you can work really hard and catch more fish and then you know like totally own the market on fish so you can get rich and stuff and then you can expand into like you know, canning the stuff and all this. And, you know, you can just like build up and then you can, you can retire and, uh, like you can do all the things that, uh, you know, he said she asked the guy what he did right now. And then he said that when you retire, you can like do all these things. And he listed them one by one. And it was like really funny. Uh, the fisherman was not buying it. Um, which, I can agree with, you know, it's like you can work, you know, all day, you can work so hard to get what you have now. <laughs> and spend, what is he, he said in the, the story, it, was ten, it would take him 10 to 20 years to, to get to the point where he could actually retire. So it's like, trade what you have now to work for 10 or 20 years to get the same thing. Yeah. So, uh, another fisherman, uh, actually, you know, buys into all of this. And all that happens to him. So, but uh, then, uh, like, this other fisherman's business starts to crowd out this little guy. So he eventually has to sell everything and go work for, you know, the big guy for, you know, like, really cheap. And, like, he gets, like, all these health problems and medical treatments and bills and stuff. And, you know, it's not, doesn't exactly end happy for this guy. But, uh... And then, 
like as a commentary to this, you know, also what not is shown is the millions of people that were able to eat fish due to its drastic drop in price. The omega balance and rising IQs resulting in more eco-scientists, sociologists, and general income for the government or charities for the retooling of Bronze Age fishermen. So it was really a ploy by the government to get more tax income. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know, like what's not, you know, exactly what's sh not shown or explained is all the indirect benefits. So, yeah, I thought that was, you know, sort of interesting. Mm -hmm. So, and, uh, you know, sadly, you know, stuff like that happens all the time. So. It's, sometimes it's the shifting of like the economy, like my dad used to work at a plant that made the steel cores that go inside like power supplies and stuff. And then they moved over to China, but now he's working at a plant that makes uh, bricks. And that's, that's a local thing where we have the clay and stuff underground and they dig it out right at the factory and make it. So it's just like economically, maybe the Chinese can make those steel cores better, but we're evidently better at making those bricks. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess it's all robots in the factory that do it. Like he, he's a maintenance, so he just fixes things when they go wrong. But right. other than that, it's like six guys that run the plant, and it's like a big, massive herd of robots that just take the bricks from place to place and bake them and everything and cut them and. Right. Yeah. Dell? Dell! 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 So, um, there's been quite a bit of news recently about them, uh, you know, essentially selling out to themselves and about Michael Dell totally taking over. But apparently, that's finally happened. Uh, they've. Dell is finally a private company now. The deal has gone through, and all former shareholders of Dell have been constipated and their shares confiscated. Okay, maybe it's not exactly that uh, violent, but uh, still. Um, so apparently, uh, like everyone, for every one share of Dell, uh, people got uh, $13.88. Uh, for a total buyout of approximately 24.9 Instagrams. So, had you heard, it was it the reason why Dell wanted to make this move? Was it because they were just feeling too much pressure from the public shareholders to do certain things, or? Uh, among other things, you know, it essentially fed into that. But he felt that, you know, to, you know, move Dell forward as a company and to, you know, preserve it and, you know, actually, you know, he thought that this was the best move for them. So, you know, and, you know, with this, uh, you know, if someone has an idea of, you know, to do something, if, with a private company, you generally have to convince less people that, you know, this is a good idea. It's true. So, right now, um, apparently, Dell and, you know, Michael Dell... And this uh, other, I think it's like Silver Lake Investments. Yeah, Silver Lake Partners are like the majority shareholders now. So if you only have to convince two people that this is a good idea, then, you know, the job is that much easier for you. 
And if you're Michael Dell and have this great idea, you pretty much only have to convince someone else. <laughs> That's true. I guess in one sense, that would make make it easier if they want to drive at a certain goal that might be kind of risky. That yeah. lets them take the risk and possibly ruin the company. But on the other hand, it might work out and do something really incredible for the company. So that lets them take that type of a risk, I guess. Um, as opposed to this uh, Carl Icahn guy, uh, which apparently not many, not too many people like. Um, you know, apparently he buys companies and drives them into the ground. So, I mean, at least like this, you know, it's the founder who did it. Yeah, so it's it's almost more of a his company to destroy if he wants to destroy it. <laughs> kind of feel like that. <laughs> So this might allow them to make good stuff again, uh, like a 15-inch laptop with a 3200 by 1800 screen. So yeah, the uh, new XPS 15s, uh, you know, apparently have that, and uh, sort of good timing too because it, it seems like I'm in the laptop market because my uh, Newmont laptop, uh, the one I've had since college. I think 2007. Uh, finally died at my parents' place two weeks ago while I was over there. Seems to be a pretty high resolution for 15 inches. Oh yeah, of screen space. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so my uh, so my Newmont laptop was like 15.6 inches or so, mm -hmm. and that was 1900 by 1200 resolution. Uh, nowadays, most 15-inch laptops are like 1366 by 768, you know, significantly less. Um, you know, and then, of course, you have to pay a little bit of a premium for a 1080p screen. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, 3200 by 1800, I'm not sure if that's, like, retina quality or not. But, uh, yeah, definitely a good thing. Uh, you know, so you know, they can start releasing good stuff and maybe they can sort out all the bad stuff and improve their QA so that their laptop keyboards won't smell like cat pee. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently a few people have been complaining. Uh, for instance, this guy uh, had a Latitude 6430U um, that uh, he says, you know, claims that it smells as if it was assembled near a litter box. Truly awful appears to be coming from the keyboard. And this thread is full of people who, uh, you know, have the same problem. You know, I, I think it's just that cats are attracted to Dell keyboards, and probably, like, every time you set a, a laptop down, like, when you're not looking, your cat goes up there and <laughs> sleeps on your keyboard or something. Well, if that happened, you know, the whole uh, the whole laptop would probably be dead, or at least, <laughs> or at least it would overheat or something. Probably would over here. I can see that big fluffy cat over the laptop, <laughs> just yeah, not clog, a clogging the vents. <laughs> you have cat hair inside of it. If you take it apart, it's just like stuffed in the vent holes and everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly sure what caused my Newmont laptop to die. Um, like first, I just you know I was you know observing International Backup Awareness Day like everyone should. Um, you know, at my parents' place. When suddenly the screen, you know, had horrible artifacts. And I'm like, okay. And it looks like, you know, the file transfer stopped. 
So, you know, I restarted it, but it wouldn't boot. So. So, yeah. So, now for this week's LOL Apple. <laughs> so, uh, in case you haven't heard, uh, Apple has announced a whole bunch of updated stuff and says that their next and now current desktop operating system is free. Investors don't even wait until the presentation was done to start deprecating Apple stock. Now, I think an important note here is free for previous Mac owners. You can't, like, go and... It didn't sound like you could go just download it and then install it, dual boot it off of a Windows so, machine. So, for existing users, so for, you know, new people... You know, you go into, you know, the Mac store or Apple store or whatever, and you buy your shiny new Mac Pro, it should come with the operating system built in, right? Mm-hmm. So. It does make sense what they're saying. I think they said all the previous machines up back to 2007 would get the upgrade for free, which yeah. that kind of makes sense. It's like Apple's so expensive on the hardware, so it's like so if they, they produce the hardware and... Theorem was producing the, the operating system then as a, I don't know how to describe it, like a, a convenience, like a subscription thing almost more. So it's like you bought our hardware, now we're going to take care of you until the hardware physically doesn't work anymore because it's just too slow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so everyone's asking, you know, uh, since uh, apparently they're also including uh, iWork apps, you know, which essentially Apple's version of Office. Um, what Microsoft will be doing about this. And, you know, even well before this, uh, we already knew that the upgrade from Windows 8 to Windows 8.1 was going to be free. So. And Windows always says that the in between updates, they're always free. Yeah, the, uh, the service packs, if you will. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, you know, let's go back a little bit uh, for a moment. Windows 2000 had four service packs. Um, I think Windows NT had like six or something. So that's like, you know, that got released back in the 90s. Uh, Windows 2000 had four. XP had three. Vista had two. And 7 has only had one. It's odd that 7 only had one. Yeah. So when did 7 come out though? Was that 2010? Uh, 9, I think. Nine? It's, you would have thought they would have given more because there'd be a lot to improve upon. Of course, though, seven was a, essentially Vista with a service was a sense, essentially a Vista service pack of what it should have been in the first place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it looks like Windows eight, you know, continuing the trend is not going to have a service pack. So that's why they're doing the eight point one thing, I guess. Ah. Uh. So, and. Uh, I'm not sure if they're trying to, you know, Apple's trying to beat Microsoft or they're just trying to be like Linux. So just do the hardware and do the free OS on it. Yep. So, so I I can see a good thing with it. If they were to actually release it for free for free, like like anyone who wanted to use it, then you could get people using VMs and then maybe people would start writing software for it and maybe it actually it, I mean Everyone says it's an easy operating system to use, so if a lot of people started using it and people started writing code for it, they might might be able to take off and have well, a user base. 
but then you fall into the uh, Microsoft reliability problem, uh, where you know Windows runs on literally everything, That's um, true, including the stuff that might not be so good. <laughs> So, you know, that's why you got all those shoddy uh, sound drivers with Windows XP causing all those blue screens. And, you know, even in Windows 98 and, you know, and before, you know, causing all those blue screens. And they're mostly bad drivers uh, because the companies, you know, all the hardware coming out, all those drivers were essentially written by hardware engineers for the most part. So, uh, which, you know, don't exactly you know, are not really that great at writing software. And, you know, writing some very important code, uh, and by very important, I mean, like, right inside the kernel of the operating system. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff can go downhill really fast. That's true. So, you know, Apple sort of, you know, wants to, you know, have a, you know, a hardware configuration that they can control. So, you know, that's their you know, reasoning behind not opening it up completely like Windows. In, th- in that sense, it does make some sense. I, I was just thinking about from a user user's perspective, people will blame things. Like I've, I've seen that for people who don't know that much about computers, who blame things on the operating system or on a program that's running. Like, like you know, I upgraded my la- laptop. I bought a new one. It's so bad because it's so slow and stuff. And, like they aren't looking at the specs; they're just looking at. Well, I went from XP to seven, and suddenly it was very slow and didn't work. And <laughs> or the other way around too. You see people doing that. And it's not. It's not less has to do with the operating system. It has more to do with the system specs of the machine they bought. Yeah, you know. So your Windows XP laptop. How much did you pay for that? A thousand bucks. Okay. How much did you pay for your recent laptop? Five hundred. <laughs> it's going to be a difference there. Yes. So, and uh, even this uh, old machine I just built, you know, after you consider the fact that it's 15 years old, it runs fast. So, and, you know, as you saw, it only took like a minute to boot or something. Yeah, it, it wasn't bad to boot. So, and, you know, it did load things, you know, fairly fast once you got, you know, Windows up and running. I did notice that when it was up, your games, they come up pretty snappy. And, so, and really, when you run the software that it was intended to run on the yes. old hardware, it really does. It's not that bad, really. So, you know, I've been, you know, considering this and, you know, like, I'm not expecting this machine to be a big boy machine. You know, it's only, you know, going to run specific chosen things mm-hmm. and software that it was, like, more or less meant to run. Uh my i7 is down below <laughs> and it does the big boy jobs and it can run them just fine so uh taking a step back to apple so with all this new stuff that was announced uh the waz is disappoint uh that is steve wozniak yeah uh, the other guy who uh founded apple so Apparently, his uh, internet connection isn't really that great and would like to carry everything, you know, like all the media he has with him. So a 256-gig iPad would be kind of useful for him. But uh, apparently that's not the case. One thing I was thinking about is, is like, Apple products, they don't normally have expansion slots where you can pop in an SD card or something. It's like the most Android phones have one. You can stick in an SD card and... You know, put in 30 or 60 gigabytes into that. Whereas, like, with Apple, it's like, 
Yeah. <laughs> you get what you what it comes with and nothing else. Yeah. Um like I remember reading this one uh book. I think it was uh the like the rise of the command line or something where it has, you know, like four operating systems, you know, Windows, Mac, obviously, and Linux and uh, I think it was BOS. Yeah. And they and it, and the guy said that uh you know like Windows is like, you know, you know, imagine four car dealerships. One of them uh has a lot of sales. Everyone goes there and like they sell like the, you know, a wide variety of cars, you know, from, you know, the uh really expensive to the pretty cheap. And uh then there's the uh uh the other dealership, which doesn't see as many people, uh, but uh, you like they're all hermetically sealed cars. <laughs> so, and then uh, one of the uh, dealerships across the street uh, is uh, selling tanks. Of course, selling tanks isn't really you know the thing. It's more of a collection of yurts, and there's tanks parked along the side of the road, and anyone can just draw you know come and drive one away and then there's this other dealership that just sells batmobiles (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it was a pretty entertaining read and i especially like the fact that you know like you see uh windows users looking over at mac users in their hermetically sealed comfort (laughs) it's like it's true (laughs) this was this was written in the mid 90s so it's like hmm some things just don't change. This is true. The Mac philosophy of make it easy and don't actually tell the user what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and if it breaks, buy a new one. <laughs> so they're so cheap to buy. Yeah, only like two thousand bucks. Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, apparently, Apple is also against people exercising their warranty rights and actively censors their community forums. Uh, Larry Lysig has uh, posted some stuff about it, and uh, especially with regards to his iPhone 4, I think it was his iPhone 4, uh, the Wi-Fi uh, breaking after the iOS 7 upgrade. So, um, apparently Apple doesn't uh, like people, you know, trying to solve their things, even though they apparently have a forum for doing so. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, hermetically sealed comfort, there you go. So, um, so, but let's, uh, step away from that and get back into development. Uh, here are some 12 awesome CSS effects that you can start using right now, uh, because support has crossed critical mass. Have you taken a look at some of these? I, I have looked through them. There's some pretty, pretty fun ones in there. I was impressed with the uh, advanced selectors. I was talking about how you don't really have to give IDs to all the different div tags anymore. That now you can just like select the one that you want to apply the uh, the CSS to. So there's like I was looking. One is the paragraph first line, and they're applying a font size and the font style and everything. And that that was that was new to me. I haven't played with CSS for maybe a year or two. And back last time I played with it was the selector. So I thought that was a pretty good feature. Yeah. Um, I use, you know, plenty of, you know, rather advanced selectors in my uh, CSS file on my blog. 
So and I I find them pretty good because uh, like for instance like the like for all my articles um, I have you know like the text styled in there and if you look at the CSS declaration it says you know article uh, and then I think it's like a greater than sign splat colon not header colon not footer so uh-huh. like you know pretty much everything that's in the middle uh, yeah. gets a style. So, I was excited about the gradients having been natively supported in IE. Finally, I remember doing a website with some gradient stuff in it, and it was like Chrome supported it, Firefox supported it. And then when you looked at the website in IE, it was just like nasty. It's like, come on. Yeah. Um, uh, so, if you look on my website there, um, like the sidebar, uh, Let's see, you have to have a, you know, like a TN type monitor to do this, but my sidebar is like a very sort of dark red at the top that fades into the background. So like if you look at it at the right angle on a cheap LCD monitor, it starts to change color a little bit, you know, depending on the angle you look at it. It's really trippy. So... And I think I might have engineered it that way too. You use the the cheaper monitor into it, and yeah. So like my uh, my current monitors are IPS monitors, so they you know keep the same color no matter what angle you look at it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not really sure what kind of monitor I have. So I was doing the angle thing. It looks like it's from whatever angle I was looking at. It, it looks the same. So I must have the. The better kind, I don't know, they're on sale when I bought them, so who knows what they are. Well, how much did you pay for your monitor? I, I paid 100 a piece for them. They're, I think they're 23 inches. Hmm. They might be TN monitors, so. Oh, well. Hey, uh, you remember Firefox? That's uh, one retro browser that everyone has stopped using except for me. Yes, and I downloaded it today because I'm starting to hate Google. So <laughs> I actually downloaded it. Maybe I'll start yes. using it. Yes, it's uh, a browser that does not spy on you. Yes, um, that's the thing. <laughs> so uh, these should all work in the latest version of Firefox. Version 25 has just been released. Uh, I believe it was yesterday. So uh, the uh, one of the newest features is web audio support. So is that in the HTML5 where they can just put uh, a player in and it happens? Um, that's more of the JavaScript thing. Okay. So, yeah. A few other things. If away from Firefox for months, you will be offered the option to reset it to its default state while preserving your essential information. So, yeah, like if you decide to use Chrome for several months and then come back to Firefox, you know, it'll ask you, hey, reset me. I thought that was kind of interesting. I was trying to decide, like, what type of things. I guess, like, your quick, your recently used bar and things like that, I guess that that mainly be what they're trying to wipe out with that. I thought that was kind of interesting that they were offering that feature. They were smart about it. I, I never really heard of software doing that before. So, and we have a whole bunch of Firefox and video news, so I guess you might want to buckle up. So, Monty Montgomery, uh, the guy who is making that dollar codec uh, I keep talking about on this podcast, has resigned his job at Red Hat to go work for Mozilla. So, 
Uh, Dala is uh, like a new codec that's still under uh, development. Um, I think I let's see. I think I might have gotten all four sort of uh, uh, background uh, bl- blog posts. Uh, we talked about them here on this podcast, but um, yeah, it's supposed to be better than H.264, better than VP8, and you know, of course, he's aiming to be better than the competition, you know, outright. Uh, so uh, apparently, Mozilla has been a little bit more enthusiastic about this than Red Hat has. And, you know, especially it being uh, aimed for uh, being a free video codec to use on the web, that going to Mozilla makes sense. It does, kind of. Uh, so, speaking of uh, free video codecs, uh, soon Cisco will be releasing an open source H.264 encoder and decoder soon. Uh, so, this would be a BSD licensed. Um, from all the uh, reports I've seen that uh, Cisco will be hosting the compiled binary executable uh, plugin or whatever on their website. So, so they're still open source, but they just have like their official so, release. They're, they're so, hosted. so hearing this, you know, I'm like, okay, well, it's you know free as in beer, but not free as in speech. But I come to the site and it says source code coming soon. Hmm. So, um, like I was expecting a uh, Stallman, this is not free software rant to come in, but that might not happen now. Um, so the idea is that uh, you know other people who need to have an H.264 codec in their product, um, what they will do is they'll ship their software without it, and then once it gets installed it'll download it from Cisco. And then uh-huh. Cisco will be the one paying out the royalty fees. So how does that work to Cisco's advantage if they have to pay the royalty fees on something they're giving to someone for free? <laughs> so, like, they're essentially trying to uh, screw over the licensing guys on this, I guess. Oh, okay. So, so then it's, like, free to everyone and it's open source, so it's, like, maybe people start compiling it for themselves. and Well... The, the idea is that if you compile it and then, say, if Mozilla compiles it for themselves then embeds it in Firefox, then Mozilla is technically distributing a decoder and will have to pay the license fees for that. So only Cisco pays a one-time fee to distribute it, and then everyone else can distribute yeah. it from Cisco's one-time fee that they paid. Yeah. It's not a continual thing for them. It's well, just this it's, one time. It, there is a maximum payment, and it's per year. Okay. So, like, I think it's like I think it's capped at about six and a half million distribution things per year, uh, or like six and a half million dollars for distributing it per year. So uh, they probably hit the cap, and they figure after we hit the cap, why not I just give it away for free? <laughs> yeah. So, um, like, I'm not exactly sure how much Cisco pays out for H.264 licensing fees, but I mean, if it's a substantial portion of that, why not? Yeah. So, uh, apparently the first up to do this will be Mozilla, uh, interesting and interestingly enough. Uh, Mozilla had previously pledged to not uh, include uh, this in it, but technically they're still not. But um, they're just embedding a uh, downloader in Firefox to go to Cisco to download the rest of it, like, for a plug-in. 
So, you know, the, again, this is a, you know, clever engineering, you know, exactly what you said. Mozilla will, you know, embed the installer in mm-hmm. Firefox to go download it from Cisco once someone gets a hold of it and, you know, in- installs Firefox on their system. So, so who owns the, the license that the royalties get paid for for the H264? It's an organization called the MPEG LA. Um, so, and that's essentially like the patent pool or something uh, for, you know, essentially like all the MPEG video codecs in okay. like other technologies. Um, so, so yeah, the idea is you pay, you know, this one organization money and then you're free to use it and no one will sue you in theory. <laughs> Either the Cisco might kind of upset them. So, yeah. Um, the big question about this now that, uh, you know, Apple supports H.264 and so does Microsoft. Uh, Google used to, but then they got uh, VP8 and they're developing VP9. Uh, so, and they, uh, I think they actually dropped H.264 from Chrome. And uh, Mozilla, I think, supports, uh, you know, VP8. And uh, I think they might still support, oh, what was that called? Og Theora, which was like the free codec before VP8. Um, And now they will obviously be doing H.264. So I guess all eyes are on Google now about, you know, what's going to happen with web video. So, uh, apparently this is good news for, uh, Mozilla. So, you know, Mozilla seems to have a, uh, or will have a rather large collection of video codecs to use, uh, natively without, say, using Flash. Matter should, I guess, in theory, make the web browser faster, like, if you're not having to use the Flash, because Flash kind of seems to be a resource drain most of the time. So... Of course, with modern machines. Right. So, um, I guess we can go ahead and use YouTube without Flash and Firefox. Um, but, uh, only if YouTube would decide to work on Fios. Now, <laughs> and we were talking about this on the fringe. The only downside I can see with Fios is YouTube sometimes does not work. So, everything else. So, e- so, by not working, you mean, like, it doesn't, uh, cache the videos all the way quite right sometimes? Well, either it doesn't download the whole video, it only downloads like the first couple of seconds, mm-hmm. or more commonly, it just won't load video, period. See, I, I've had trouble with YouTube not really downloading more than the first few seconds, and then it's like, then when you start watching it, then it's like having to buffer, and it's like, you know, I let it sit for, it should be faster, you, you can buffer the whole thing, you know, it, it's right. the speed is there. But I think what it was is Google is throttling you, and so there's this this plugin I found for in Chrome that I installed it. And what it does is when you first start a video, it pauses it, but it also turns off the throttling and it, it downloads the videos and they actually get cached properly and it works. But it's, it was, yeah. I think it's something Google does. Right. I, I, look, I looked at it online some and it seemed to be a lot of people have that problem with YouTube. Yeah. Like I, I noticed this starting a couple of months ago that, you know, if if you're not watching it, it'll stop downloading. Yes, which is annoying because it's well, sometimes you start a video and I, I'm going to watch it later. From a bandwidth cost, cost perspective, it does make sense. Yeah, it makes sense for Google, but not for me. 
So, uh, in the middle of all this, uh, the uh, Monty guy that just got hired by Mozilla, he chimes in on all of this. So, you know, he does agree that it, it is, you know, sort of good for Mozilla, uh, but it can, uh, you know, go downhill pretty fast. Uh, but, hey, you know, it's there. Why not use it? Um, so, uh, you know, he also speaks about the future and, uh, you know, talking about the uh, next uh, H.265 codec. Uh, I think it's like HEVC, like high efficiency video coding or something. Um, like the licensing hasn't been figured out yet. It'll be interesting to watch the negotiations if Cisco's giveaway plan is wildly successful. In the future, could nearly every legal copy of that codec come as a blob from the from one internet source under one cap? I doubt that possibility is something that the MPEG LA has considered, and they may consider it now since someone has actually tried to pull it off. Uh, perhaps in five years, even cameras and TVs will download a software codec over the internet to avoid paying monopoly rents. Sillier things have happened given sufficient profit motive. That's pretty funny. It's like you set up your TV, you plug her in, and she goes and downloads the software. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think about any of the hardware, but yeah, that's true. I mean, you can save money producing it. Do it. Yeah, wow. and with all this, uh, you know, smart, smart TV stuff, you know, if your internet can talk to uh, Netflix, you know, if your TV can talk to Netflix, mm-hmm. then it should be able to talk to Cisco. Yeah, what's the big deal of just going and downloading the software you of need? Course, of course, it's probably already talking to Cisco, given that it's talking to the internet. This is very <laughs> true. <laughs> so... Uh, Monty also says, or maybe they'll build in a free, legally uncomplicated copy of Dala instead. Dare to dream. So, if the, uh, the codec that Monty is working on ends up being better. So, yeah, indeed, shoot for the stars. Hey, shoot for the stars, why don't you shoot for the moon? I hear that, uh, the internet connection to the moon is pretty fast a 622 megabit connection um i bet some people would want to move there just to get a decent internet connection i'm building my spaceship now <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah this is uh pretty cool apparently it's made out of lasers so it's you know really cutting edge space technology something that we've ironically had for 50 years already <laughs> well i mean yeah, i guess technically your fiber optic would probably be powered by a laser oh in, yeah uh, one end or the other the, now the interesting thing i was thinking about that was with your lasers that implies line of sight so it's like if what if like another satellite or a meteorite kind of gets in the way does it like cut off your internet connection for this few seconds when the set- satellite's like between <laughs> well getting blasted with a laser beam or, uh, more importantly, what if the Earth gets in the way? You know, because the, the other Earth, side of the Earth spins. <laughs> this is true. You know, if the moon is below the horizon, the Earth is in the way. We just drill a hole every direction around the Earth, and there's this big, <laughs> this big channel through the Earth. And <laughs> so, I think that would be solved by having multiple ground stations. You know, and if an asteroid blocks one of them, just switch stations. 
It seemed so, like a reasonable way. I mean, that's, so, that's, I believe that's what they're doing for the uh, Voyager spacecraft, who has now left the solar system for, what, the 50th time? So. Does it keep coming back in, or? Is they, people... they, they keep on saying, hey, it's, you know, reach interstellar space. And then, like, a couple of weeks later, hey, it's reach interstellar space. Like, they for just real want, this don't time. want anyone to forget about it. <laughs> So, like, I'm not sure if, uh, the, I think it's like the, uh, bow shock or something, or like the, uh, termination shock or something, like, it's not a defined point in space, like, it's not a set number of, you know, uh, miles away. Yeah, it's just kind of like out there someplace where space it's, is. It's, it's defined by particles flowing away from the sun. And if the sun is really excited for some reason, uh-huh. like every 11 years or something, like it changes. So, you know, I really wish that uh, someone would make a universe episode on this network, but it's not going to happen. So, but uh, tell you what is going to happen. Companies will get funded uh, because the SEC the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, continues to move towards opening funding rounds for companies. So, uh, back in the olden days, and still, I think, uh, you know, even now, uh, like companies that want to raise money uh, can only contact people that they already know. They can't exactly advertise, "Hey, we need some money. Uh, go ahead and like contact us. We'll, bu- you know, give you some shares." You can't exactly go out and do that publicly. Uh, but with this, uh, uh, like, America Gets Back to Work Act or something, or the Jobs Act there, uh, Title III, um, apparently that's, you know, there's essentially going to be a Kickstarter for, uh, you know, just think of a Kickstarter, but instead of, you know, investing in products, you're actually investing in companies. You're getting mm-hmm. stock and not pre-ordering things. So how, I guess how did how is it different from buying stock is the question then because it's it's not it's how the word gets out. So, you know, again, it you know people who want money for their company can only contact the people they know. They can't exactly you know run an ad or something. Ah, okay. So then this is just putting the internet to the problem of finding people. Yeah. So, uh, I'll probably be uh, pretty excited about this. Um, there are some restrictions, though. Um, so, uh, for people with an annual net income uh, less than one hundred thousand uh, dollars, every twelve months you can invest five percent or two thousand, whichever two thousand dollars or five percent, whichever is more. I wonder why they capped it. Uh, so people won't be complaining that, hey, I'm not getting any return on my money because I invested, like, half of my money in, like, totally unknown companies. That's, like, your problem if you're, you're that stupid, though. So, uh, so, uh, either, you know, it looks like everyone can invest at least $2,000, uh, uh, let's see, but if you earn $100,000, you can invest up to $5,000. Uh, for everyone over $100,000, you can invest 
every 12 months. So, and uh, securities bought uh, will have to be held for a year before being sold. So, which is reasonable. That does kind of make sense to hold on to, then you don't get the, like, a, someone buying a bunch and then swapping it off on someone really quick while the stock's price is, like, high. Yeah. So, you know, I guess there won't be any uh, high-speed trading on these for a while. Um, so, yeah, for me, I guess that would be more like $3,000 every year. 3000 maybe four. So, yeah. Of course, I pay way more than that on my student loans. <laughs> so, and I just talked to a guy last week about starting my 401k plan. So, you know, save for the future, uh, profit, you know, monies, lots. That's always a good thing. And back, back more so a few years back, but I, I still do some. I, I would, uh, whenever some bad thing happened in the media to a company, like I, I bought like $100 worth of stock from like when the, all the car companies were going out of business a few years back. I <laughs> yeah. bought a bunch of, I bought like $100 of Ford stock. And then when BP, got really bad that one year I bought a hundred dollars of their stock. Yeah. So I, I've gotten, I got, I have some stock, not a lot, but a few of it like that. Just for fun to see. It's like, cause you figure the companies are so low, so they're, they might still make it. So it's just, right. it's interesting. Right. But I don't know about BP. It sounds like they may not be all that great off in the long run. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, the idea is that, you know, we aren't old people, you know, we're, you know, 25 or something. So we have time on our side. You know, yes. We're not, you know, breathing down companies next demanding profit margins of huge size next quarter. You know, we're interested in long-term investing. We're interested in profit margins in a hundred quarters. Yes. Or I'm what have you. Sit and grow. Yep. So, you know, I mentioned that to the guy. So, and then he uh, pointed me out. I was like, okay, uh, Here's some numbers on your spreadsheet that you got. So, I got some Walmart stocks last time I bought stocks, and those have actually done pretty good. Because Walmart seems to be a stable company, and they they just they keep growing. Yeah. So, um, you uh, ha have you heard of RSA encryption? Yes, I even did some of that back in, in college or I, I could, don't remember the math now, but I do definitely remember doing it. So, uh, RSA keys, uh, pretty are the numbers that underlie pretty much every encryption system today. And they're based on factors. They're based on prime numbers of huge size. Um, so this blog post, you know, sort of explains, you know, how they work. And, uh, you know, even though you have, like two huge big numbers, um, you can factor out any prime factors that they have in common. So, uh, you know, with this, apparently someone has gone around and queried all the public IP addresses in the known universe, you know, requesting a connection on ports commonly used for secure communication, uh, specifically uh, HTTPS and SSH. You know, Aside from, you know, querying every IP on the internet, which is bad, you know, <laughs> uh, it's not illegal because they're just gathering public keys, which by definition are public. They're out in mm -hmm. the open. That's the idea of a public key. 
so they uh, ran a whole bunch of uh, you know factoring on this. They uh, removed all the duplicate keys, and then they uh, ran a whole bunch of uh, you know common denominators with this, and found a surprising amount had common factors. Now these uh, factors are 512 bits. That's a really large number. Um, so with 512-bit primes, uh, you have in the neighborhood of 10 to the 150 uh, prime numbers in that. Uh, so the you know with uh, keeping the birthday paradox in mind, which is you know how many how many uh, samples do you have to get before there's a probability of a collision? That shouldn't happen until you're 10 to the 75. That's 10 with 75 zeros on that. Apparently, we're only at 10 to the 7, and we have thousands of collisions already. So, this is uh, very concerning. Uh, fortunately, none of the, uh, you know, the major websites, you know, like any of the major banking websites, or, you know, anything like that, have any of... Uh, any of these common factors. I found it interesting in the article they were talking about how the one reason why they thought maybe there's so many collisions was most computers are assigning their uh, ID numbers or not that they're finding assigning their prime numbers for the key when they're booting. So maybe there's not like yeah. enough time for the to randomly pick up the number. Yeah. So. And, you know, again, the problem isn't necessarily so much web servers, it's embedded devices, which, you know, as as mentioned, you know, some of these keys are randomly generated when the device is booted. So, you know, when a device is booted, it hasn't really been used that much since it's been turned on. So, um, I guess the solution to that is uh, a hardware random number generator. I heard once that uh, one idea someone had for random number generators was to actually have a radio receiver and listen to, like, space yeah. noise, and then y your numbers coming in from that would be very random, and the only way for someone to know what it was you you got would be to be listening at the same exact instance to the same space noise, which would be very unlikely for yeah. them to get that same space noise at the same instant when you're looking at it. Yeah. So, um, that, that's definitely a rather easy one because, you know, FM tuners or whatever are pretty cheap. Yeah. You just so, plug it in. And, and, and in a data center or something, that's a pretty noisy environment. So that would be even better in theory. Is, I don't know if the fans and stuff would produce a constant. Or, or even wave. a microphone. What's that? Or even a microphone. That's true too. Someone say if just people talking around in the data center or something, or I know the NSA could help. They could give like the live feed of random phone calls, and we could feed into a random number generator. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh boy. So, so well, but we'll be talking about uh, the NSA later. Okay. So, I, I was another thing I was thinking about this is it's hard to find prime numbers. So, do these devices have a set list of prime numbers they choose from when they boot, or do they actually find the prime number when they they boot? Because you have to have all the previous prime numbers to the what the square root of the one you're you're testing to know whether or not it's a prime number to divide by. 
So it takes some time to find a big prime number. True. So are these devices actually using generated prime numbers, or are they they just picking from a pool, it's, which in that case, it makes sense that they're finding out a duplicate. It's unclear. I guess that would be more of an implementation detail. Yes. So The thing is, if it's like a router or something that's pretty small processing power, it kind of doesn't make sense for it to be making its own prime numbers if we're talking, like, what was it? Five twelve byte bits, you said, right? Yeah, five hundred twelve bits. That's a pretty big number, and it would have to generate two of those to you know have a you know a thousand twenty four bit key. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not seeing my router, which boots up in like five seconds, generating both of those numbers. It's got to have a predetermined pool of numbers it's picking from. I mean, I'm not sure, but I think my Pentium two has more power in it than my Gigabit router. Probably. <laughs> I, I wrote a prime number generator back in college, and I ran like I ran it overnight once and overloaded my stack because I had a bad code in there. But anyways, like the numbers were big, but I don't remember them being quite that. Big. I mean, I guess they were close to that range, but that was you know with a powerful computer running for extended periods of time that you got big numbers like that. The person who did this uh, said, uh, so we have enough prime numbers in 512 bits to assign prime numbers to give public encryption keys to every atom in the observable universe <laughs> with little worry about possible duplicates. So, um, pretty good. Yeah. Let's see. Like, you know, of all those people, or all those people, like, all this stuff about, you know, finding pi to, like, the billionth digit or whatever. Yes. You know, all it takes is about 40 digits of pi to compute the circumference of the observable universe down to, like, an atom. <laughs> so there's really not much point in going very much further with pi. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of beating a dead horse there. I mean, I mean, 50 is pretty much the practical limit, you'd think. But, you know, hey, this is a competition. I guess so. Prime numbers are more fun because there's, like, prizes for the... If you find the next biggest prime number above like, a certain size. Yeah, like a Marcen prime or something. I forget. I remember I was... That was back when I had the prime number generator. I was I was figuring out, like, how big of a number I'd need. <laughs> so, like a, Mar- like a Marcen prime is a prime number that is 2 to the n minus 1. So, like, for instance, it would, you'd be looking for a number like 1,023, which is 2 to the 10 minus 1. So, anyway, maybe we can look that up on Wikipedia. Yes, that's actually where I'm at right now. Uh, interesting, um, because that's what our next news article is about. Uh, Wikipedia has noticed uh, this one PR firm uh, has been editing uh, Wikipedia on behalf of its clients, and like they're paid to do this. So Wikipedia went and closed several accounts suspected of belonging to that uh, PR firm, uh, you know, so that they can stop ruining Wikipedia. And I absolutely agree with them uh, that this is against the Wiki Code of Conduct. 
Excuse me. So that seems to be that always the big thing with Wikipedia is just like everything is always slanted. Like you can't really trust it for certain things, like political people and stuff. Like they always hear stories about. I think it was Rush Limbaugh was one of the ones I heard about was people had edited his page and it wasn't a very favorable likeness of him because people who didn't like him had edited it. So it's you always get the bias from different subjects that aren't always quite right. Yeah, so uh, like I remember uh, writing an article for one guy um, like to actually you know like put up a little article about him um, which I'm pretty sure that uh, some of the other people on this network might know this name. I believe it's Stephen Clark Wilson. Uh, he's apparently the guy that runs all the servers for Guild Wars. Uh, hi, Ryan. So, apparently that's, uh, you know, apparently that's uh, a not game on this network. So, interesting. It's- so you wrote the article and submitted it to Wikipedia? Well, I wrote it on Wikipedia, since okay. apparently this guy was rather adamant about having a link to this one article from, uh, I think it might have been Direct Song or something. I'm not sure if that article is still there, but I know that his still is. So, so did they, the editors accepted yours, at least for a time it was posted on Wikipedia? Um... Well, I actually have to go back and check, but it should still be there. Okay, nice. I, I tried submitting one once on a, a firearms company, a Connecticut Valley Arms, and it, it's it was a major company in its time about ten years ago. And I read an article about it once. I just never could get get it approved. Like I couldn't prove to the moderators they wanted to be proof that it was a significant company, which it is a significant company in the, the realm of muzzleloaders, but. I can never get them to pass that article. Ah, oh, there it is. It's still on here. Nice. Let's see. Where am I? Ah, oh, yeah. Predator Alpha. Down at the bottom. So. Anyways. So, it looks like Hitachi. Uh, I believe they've been bought out by Western Digital. But like that division of Western Digital, uh, Hitachi, they're talking about releasing a seven platter hard drive, uh, sealed and filled with helium next year. So like apparently they're talking about it having, uh, uh, like six terabytes almost, which seems rather odd because, uh, like platters right now have capacities of one terabyte. So having a 7 platter one not be at least 7 terabytes is sort of confusing. Uh, but it looks like, uh, like due to the properties of helium, uh, it looks like there will be like quite a bit of power savings and uh, less heat with that. And apparently they will be selling these for profit. So it looks like they'd only be used in data centers anyway. So, so was, I was like, just thinking about the the logistical how this is going to work long term these hard drives are going to be probably more finite in their life because uh the helium might leak out eventually i guess true uh but if they were filled with hydrogen which i mean even though it's explosive it'd be sealed in there's the problem of hydrogen leakage like the hydrogen 
is so small it sort of seeps through the metal. Okay. So. So, so is the helium bigger in the molecule? Yeah. Cure size? Okay, I didn't. So it should stay inside. Okay. Even long term. I'm sure like nitrogen is a bigger molecule, so like they say, like you can put that in your car tires and stuff, and they stay up better. So, so um, which is oddly the majority of air. But um, so it looks like you know helium keeps the drives cooler, and apparently the motor won't have to spin as fast. So that's why they can stack on more platters because generally hard drives. You know, only have up to about four or five platters. Ah, okay. So the uh, the hard drive in my desktop has two. Um, see, I think the ones in my server have either three or four. Um, but yeah, Hitachi really likes to pile on the platters of their disk drives. Because I remember having a Hitachi drive once, and it whined like you wouldn't believe it was really noisy and i do not miss that drive at all so i like the older drives that used to click when you're riding to them so you're riding away to yeah, them this the one i have in here uh the one i'm currently using does not do that okay although the one dinky two gig one i had did <laughs> And, in fact, you can hear it in one of the previous episodes. So, um, so yeah, anyways, it looks like, you know, putting helium in a drive is, you know, a, has quite a few advantages, but it looks like it'll be expensive. Mm, yes. So. Um, Making a fragile drive that much more fragile, easier to break. So, but, you know, if it makes the drive run cooler, it might last longer. That's true, too. Yeah. So, ah, uh, good old uh, NSA. So, remember LavaBit? Uh, that's that uh, email service that Snowden used to report all this NSA stuff. Uh, they are now being held in contempt of court because the guy that was running it shut it all down. So, you know, they were planning on being sneaky, but the guy decided, you know, can't really uh, make promises to my customers anymore, so you know I gotta shut the thing down. It said in the article that he, they actually caved and gave the NSA the their private key. Yeah, after I think two days, and then that's when he shut it down. Yeah, so Which it's, it's good that he shut it down, but by giving them the private key, he just gave all the information of everyone. Though is the thing. Yeah, so the EFF, the uh, you know the electronic. Frontier Foundation, uh, you know, is supporting this guy in his fight. Um, so this uh, staff attorney uh, that you know is helping him out says obtaining a warrant for a service's private key is no different than obtaining a warrant to search all the houses in a city to find the papers of one suspect. This case represents an unprecedented use of subpoena power. And the government claiming that it can compel dis a disclosure of that would, in one fell swoop, expose the communications of every single one of LavaBit's users to government scrutiny. And then uh, going down here, uh, let's see, I believe it's the quote I put in the uh, the document. 
the government's uh, request to LavaBit not only disrupts the security model on which the internet depends, but also violates our constitutional protections against unreasonable searches and seizures. By effectively destroying LavaBit's legitimate business model when it complied with the subpoena, the action was unreasonably burdensome and violated the Fourth Amendment. The deadline for the government's response is now November 12th. So, I was wondering how, how it would have gone over had he just deleted the key and then left the country. <laughs> <laughs> Get out fast. So, I'm... I'm pretty sure the NSA would have detected that. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. sure they wouldn't have appreciated him doing that. But. Yeah. Um, so there is now a documented case of the NSA actually censoring someone. It's already in court. So this uh, mini Soden uh, as as a uh, you know a store uh, selling T-shirts, and uh, for example, one of them says the NSA. The part of the government that actually listens. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I wonder if you can still buy these. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, so this, so the NSA is getting upset because this guy is losing, using their logo on these shirts. So, apparently, they don't really like someone else doing that. So it's not specific to just the NSA. Um, apparently, like, it might seem that almost any government agency has the right to do this. So I felt that was kind of interesting. Yes, that, that was. And in the article, we were saying about how uh, part of the, the law states that using the logos in such a way that it, it would lead someone to believe that it was actually from the, the government agency that uses it. So, the, But then they were seeing the article that clearly, I mean, if it's on a T-shirt that says that, it's not something the NSA would be printing and putting on their T-shirts. Right. So it's in the article there, isn't it? It's pretty clear that that's not, they weren't trying to spoof the logo to actually make someone believe that the NSA is saying this. Right. So, um, with all of this uh, NSA stuff going on, it looks like a few roaches in Congress are writing a bill that puts an end to all this NSA crap. Um, apparently it's called the Freedom Act, which is a big, long uh, acronym for Uniting and Strengthening America by Fulfilling Rights and Ending Eavesdropping, Dragnet Collection, and Online Monitoring Act, or... USA Freedom Act. <laughs> so, apparently it's going to rewrite Section 215 of the Patriot Act um, that, you know, essentially justifies all of this uh, business record collection and uh, among other things. And they're going to supposedly write it in a way that they can't just shut down this specific program and start something else that essentially does the same thing. And uh, apparently it will include uh, additional restrictions and oversight on the NSA. So, color me skeptical, but I can't really believe that this is happening, or it's even possible. See, that's the thing, is even if they pass it, I th kind of get the feeling that they come up with some loophole someplace, because the laws exactly. are always so big 
that there's always some way. It's like we covered most everything. Within that one hole, you missed the water's coming in and the boat's still <laughs> sinking. Yep. Noticed during the past couple of weeks, I, I, I noticed that Gmail changed the login page. It used to come up to the, the big page there where you have the uh, the count count up of the how many free gigabytes right. of space that Gmail's giving you. Now they have this one login for all that's just uh, kind of lame actually. Now what's yeah, that? Terrible. Like yeah, I mean it's just a login page. I mean, the Gmail's page was fun. It's like I, I watched that when I was a kid. Like. This is like 2006, like years yeah. ago. You watch, it's like, whoa, they're almost up to three gigabytes now. Do you see that? <laughs> it's like, it was so fun watching them go. I mean, the thing is, are they even going to increase their, their storage space well, daily now? Or are they just going to be like every few many years? Nah, I, 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 I was sad to see that go. <laughs> yeah, I think it's only going to be like every, you know, every amount of time. Uh, because like right now it's 15 gigs of combined storage for everything. Google Drive, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, ideally, I think that they would increase it every once in a while, but it's not going to be a gradual thing like it was. Yeah, I, so. I, I like it like that you could always see it going up, even though I, I, I saw them moving decimal points into it as time went on, so you could tell they were kind of trying to slow down the rate <laughs> at which it was increasing. <laughs> it's like, it's still increasing by a number, but it's going to take a while. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, like at that point, it might as well be individual bytes. <laughs> mm, basically. Um, let's see. And what disappoints me the most is that, uh, like, I go to gmail.com and the login is not there. Yes, I know. It's And the worst part is I run no script, so I have to, like, specifically enable everything in order for that sign-in link to even work. Oh, really? I oh, am so nice. mad. Yeah. So I'm... my solution is go to google.com and click the sign in there. Ah. Uh... And then click the Gmail. See, so. see I, I heard people online, and like I, I Googled it some earlier, I first today or whenever, and some people were saying that they had trouble finding the sign in for Gmail now that, so it yeah. must be people who weren't running the scripts and stuff that they can't see that. I hadn't noticed that, but I run scripts on the pages most of the time. But yeah. Yeah. And I'm starting to not like Google quite as much lately. I tried. I was exp- experimenting with Chromium the other day, seeing how easy it was to run that in Windows just to get away from Chrome. Right. But I don't know. I might try Firefox to see how it goes. I was a little. I, I I was trying just a little bit tonight. I was a little disappointed. It doesn't actually do the live web domain name lookup when you're typing the title bar like Chrome. If I type a brand new in install of Chrome, if I start typing in a web address, it'll actually return possible results that I can suggest as you type, whereas the Firefox doesn't actually Google search, it doesn't search it, it just pulls from your bookmarks and your your history. Now see, what I like about uh, Firefox is that I can type in R-E-W, it's like right there above the home row, 
And, you know, if I want to get to my blog, I can just type in R-E-W. And, like, the number one suggestion that Firefox gives me is the andrewbailey.com. So is, how, how does your domain name begin? Is It's, it's the andrewbailey.com, right? Yeah. So what is the R-E-W coming from? The R-E-W Andrew. The last of Andrew. Oh, the last of Andrew. Okay. See, Google Chrome, it does do the, so, like, the caching pretty well. Like, I would, to do Gmail, like, I type in GM, then enter typically. Yeah. That's how whereas, I hit Gmail. Whereas over on Chrome, I, you know, have it bookmarked, obviously, as well, you know, in both browsers, but I hit uh-huh. REW, and it doesn't even come up anywhere. It thinks that I want to, you know, do rewards or rewind for some reason. That's true, because if you type in the, you're probably not getting the Andrew Bailey. You're probably getting the something or another else. Well, I'm I'm just typing in R-E-W. Firefox works for me. Yeah. Like, Firefox apparently does, like, a whole text search, whereas Google only does, like, the beginnings of things. It, yeah, it does a starts with search is the difference there, because you can't, as I was trying to find Gmail by typing in mail, and it does, well, it does get mail.google.com, but it doesn't. It doesn't go Gmail, it, it, yeah. but if I type in G, instantly at, it pops you know, up with Gmail first. So I have to type in the on Chrome, and then it comes up number one thing, the Andrew Bailey. So, so you know, Firefox does a full text search. You know, you can, you know, type in, like, really fast things, like R-E-W. That, that, that does sound kind of nice, having the, the contained search, once you kind of figure out what it is and what you need to type you have to type in the A, and then I, I can get your site then in Chrome. So yeah. it is your your R-E-W is shorter by one character. So, yeah. I uh, guess that's uh, that's why the awesome bar is awesome. <laughs> I I was looking at the Firefox. They have made improvements, like, with their new... I don't know when they, they did it. They moved the, to the more the ribbon style up on the taskbar tabs, like Chrome has... And that's initially why I like Chrome was having that on the the title bar, having the tabs up there because it just saves so much space. And really, yeah. Firefox pretty much has the same amount of space. The only, I mean, the bookmark bar is taking up a space, but I can probably disable the bookmark bar oh, and make yeah. it the same. Oh yeah, I hate you know bars up there that are not dynamic and don't change. Mm-hmm. You know. Exactly. You know, for instance, you know, when I'm, you know, reading news articles for this podcast, I really don't want to be bothered with what my bookmarks are. You know, yes. Again, if for my bookmarks, I bookmark them. And then when I, you know, want to do them, I open up a new tab and type in REW or whatever. Yeah. That, and that's how I use most of my bookmarks now, too. It's like, Unless I'm actually digging for something, my common things, I don't click. I just type in a keyword and now enter really quick, and it's like, it's there. It's like, who needs to click on something? My hand's on the keyboard already. And, you know, again, it's, you know, the retardedness of all these search bars and stuff. Yes. You know, like, you're not using half, half of that. You're not even using any of that any of the time, mostly. You know, like, I don't... I don't use it. I don't want it taking up my space. Yes. Get out of then- my space. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's weird. It's bad. Ugh. So, 
Anyways, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, we did not have any uh, podcast feedback this week. So, but I uh, did keep my ear to the ground, and uh, apparently, people like the whole goodbye XP. <laughs> <laughs> this should be something you do every time on your podcast when you're done. <laughs> so, oh, you should do Windows ninety eight sometime since you have your ninety eight machine sitting there. Uh, ding 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 ding. ding. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure Windows ninety eight has a shutdown sound, but I can't recall it right offhand. It's like a it's like a musical. Uh, I probably can't play it well, but yeah. Yeah, you have to do that sometimes. I, I do know the startup sound mm-hmm. because you know, like even it, you know, the time it takes to boot, I can hook up my headphones. I see you hear that when you're booting. So, see, uh, see this this shutdown sound is like the startup sound, but kind of in reverse. Like I think the tones go the opposite direction and get like hmm. a deeper tone or something. I think. Huh. Um. And then I recently discovered that I can plug this into my i7 the sound card there and then have windows listen to this device and it'll come through on my speakers ah. with everything else the so only then you have one set of speakers from both machines then yeah the only bad part is is that you know like i said that the power supply on this is kind of bad so there's a lot of noise and i'm pretty sure it's not the sound card because i use that sound card for years and I'm pretty sure that static was not there. So. So it must be the power supply. Pretty like, sure. You do like, weird things. Like I had a power supply once that would mess the TV up. And I sent it back under warranty and it came back and it was, it didn't mess up the TV anymore. So they can cause interference evidently. So, um, let's see. I actually played a lot of uh, SimCity music, uh, the MIDI music, uh, from there. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, you can still hear it fine. Uh, and, like, when I record it, I just use the Audacity uh, remove noise filter, and it takes care of it. Huh. So. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, yeah, if uh, you missed the show, uh, I need contributors. That would be awesome. If you think you can contribute something to the show, we need you for a guest. Uh, because number 50 is coming up pretty soon, uh, even though this is technically the 50th <laughs> episode, it's number 49. So, because we started at number zero. So, um, yeah, so if I skip, like, another week or two, then it would be, like, the exact anniversary of me starting the show. So, that's something. Yes. So, I believe that should be it. Um, oh, yeah, and go ahead and submit your feedback on the contact form. Uh, or if you want to be a guest, go ahead and do the same. So, um, aside from that, uh, I guess I'll be posting uh, something on my blog pretty soon. Um, other than that, uh, tomorrow's Halloween, so I'm going to be dressing up as a scientist. There you go. So... You know, apparently my dad was really inspired uh, when uh, I went out for my graduation ceremony in Utah that uh, the, you know, the president of the school 
said that you are now all scientists. Apparently <laughs> that struck a chord with my dad. So he's like, oh, yeah, you're a scientist now. I was like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, not really? <laughs> so one Christmas, you know, you know, my mom was really insistent. I was like, okay, fine. You know, dad always says that I'm a scientist. A real scientist has a lab coat. <laughs> so nice. Uh, I'm just going to be wearing that all day. So, um, then for the weekend, uh, don't think I'm doing anything this weekend. So, I guess I'll keep on doing this Borderlands 2 loot hunt thing. There you go. And, um, oh, maybe playing Diablo 2. I never played Diablo 2 before. So, I remember playing the original, and I think I got most of the way through it. But I've never played Diablo 2. So,. I think I might uh, get a few other games that I have never played before and put them on here and play them on the hardware that they were meant to be played on. Go. Get the full experience the first yes. time. Yeah, uh, play it the meant it w- the play it the way it was meant to be played. Take that, Nvidia. <laughs> Where can we find you on the internet? Um, you can find me at my blog. Prove it with a unit test. I think it's .wordpress.com. Or I haven't posted spot, Yeah, .wordpress.com. I'll post the link into the doc, so we have that. Um, I um, believe it's already on your people profile. Oh, okay, so. so it's there then. So you yep. can just look at that. Yep. Some Someday maybe I'll post more than my current two articles there. <laughs> and you can find me, as always, at theandrewbailey.com. And uh, you can also find me at Steam under Praetor Alpha. I'll be sure to put that in here. You can also find me under the uh, in the Demon website LinkedIn. Uh, I believe it's the Andrew Bailey there as well. So, or at least the URL anyway. So, um, so yeah, I guess that's it. So uh, have a good one. You know there ain't no-